All right. I think it's. Welcome, everyone, and thank you for being here with us today. just felt this hushed silence, and I heard from many people this morning that there were traffic things going on, so I know it takes a lot to get here at 9.30 in the morning, and welcome. I'm Mariah. I'm the event manager. If you need anything today, myself and two other event staff are around, either in the front office or somewhere you can find us, so if you have any questions, don't hesitate to let us know. If you have signed up for CE credits and want to get CE credits for today's program, we do need you to sign in now. We have to verify that we saw you at the beginning and end of the program. So if you've not yet done that, please go to our lovely volunteers in the back and sign in. We'll have a lunch break at about 12.30 for an hour. You are welcome to eat in this room. We also have picnic tables across in the meadow, which is where our old building used to be, which is not a helpful uh, direction if you don't know where that is. So you can let us know and we'd be happy to direct you. Or you'll see other people walking sort of as the crow flies in that direction. There is a, a shaded area where there are picnic tables and you're welcome to have lunch there as well. There's a program going on upstairs that will have different break times and a different lunch time. Uh, so we just ask that you not go upstairs during the day while they're in program session and they won't come down here. Our bookstore is closed right now for inventory, which is kind of a bummer. And we're sorry that it's closed while you're here. It's once a year we do an annual inventory and it happens now and it will open by next weekend. Um, so Oren is, uh, our teacher today. I know a lot of people signed up specifically to be with Oren and for this topic because he's got three programs happening this October. Um, Oren has been practicing meditation in this tradition since 1997, longtime student of Joseph Goldstein, Michelle McDonald, and Venerable Ajahn Suchito. Holds a degree in comparative religion from Columbia University and is a somatic experiencing practitioner for healing trauma and a graduate of uh, IMS's teacher training program, which is our sister center on the East Coast. Ah, thank you. Yes, yeah. IMS and Spirit Rocks uh, teacher training programs. 
Uh, later this month with Nikki Mirgafori, there is uh, Finding Ease and Freedom in Illness and Physical Pain. I know many of the volunteers and people who attended that program um, asked by request to have Oren come back and teach that program again. That is Sunday, October 22nd. And then on Saturday the 28th, slow and steady, establishing successful meditation techniques. So if you are um, just sort of bitten by the bug today and wanting to come back and get more, we have those programs going on later in the month. And I always stall a little bit in case there's anyone else coming in for CEs that needs to sign in to make sure everybody gets them. So one last call if you are getting CE credits. There is a handout for today. If you didn't get it, uh, raise your hand and we will bring you one. Oh, fabulous. Thank you. So without taking any more of your class time, thank you, Oren. So, good morning. Welcome. It's nice to be here on this beautiful, beautiful weekend day. Um, one more thing I'll just add in the vein of announcements, and I, if I remember, I'll say this a few times today. I, I brought some materials myself just for some of the other teaching that I do around here in the Bay Area. So, uh, on any of the breaks uh, at the back table here and also at one of the tables in the foyer, uh, you'll find a mailing list and a flyer for a six-week class I have on this particular topic that we're exploring today, mindful communication. It's starting in January uh, and some other materials for programs I run. How many people are uh, here at Spirit Rock for the first time today? Anyone? Awesome. Welcome. I'm, I'm so delighted that uh, something about this particular topic or my teaching drew you here. It's a, uh, quite a remarkable place uh, that exists in this uh, part of the country. So I hope it uh, can become a resource and a home for you, as I know it has been for me and, and many others of us here. How many people uh, have uh, a regular or semi-regular <laughs> meditation practice? Raise your hand. Lovely. And how many people are, are, are brand new or on the newer side to meditation? Uh-huh. Beautiful. Also, also welcome. It's, uh, I always, uh, it's such an honor to me to get to uh, connect with people in the earlier part of their uh, spiritual practice or contemplative practice because it's been such a transformative and powerful part of my adult life. <clears throat> so I, I consider it an honor to, to be here with you. And, and how many people have um, uh, some experience with uh, nonviolent communication? You've read the book, you've taken a class or a workshop. Great, great, wonderful. Good. So folks will probably still be trickling in for this the next 15 or 20 minutes, but uh, why don't we start with a short, uh, short period of meditation, and uh, I'll offer some, uh, some suggestions, some instruction, more at the beginning. <clears throat> and notice, notice what happens inside when you uh, hear me say, we'll do some meditation. So what, what comes up inside? Do you feel less relaxed than you did 30 seconds ago? 
right? So a lot of meditation practice is about uh, what we bring to the moment, learning to see more clearly what, uh, what we're carrying. So instead of uh, entering this period of uh, collective silence and stillness as a project, a task, Uh, a self-improvement project. Uh, See if you can begin to think about it as uh, sitting on the porch on a summer evening with a good friend. So just, just that sense of just relaxing. It's safe or safe enough. There's some degree of comfort and ease whenever it feels uh, suitable to you you can either let your eyes close or just gaze down at the ground in front of you so that the visual field gets turned down and we begin to draw the attention inward And not so much needing to do anything at first, but just to, just to relax, just to settle in. How is it to feel the body just sitting here? Again, in the way that you might be relaxed, spending time with an old friend. You might feel the weight of the body, that uh, subtle force of gravity this downward pull. And if you can sense that a little bit, see if it has any kind of steadying or calming effect on your nervous system. Is the firmness of the contact with the chair or the ground the weight and heaviness of the body. Allowing yourself to take in this very simple, tangible message here. The body is here. And so we use this sense of groundedness to help bring the mind and the heart also here into this moment, into the body. So relaxing and grounding, just arriving.
you might also notice the sense of alignment or a kind of an upward movement of the spine. That this downward stable force of gravity coexists with a sense of inner alignment, strength, stability, however you sense the upright core of your torso. Letting the face be relaxed, letting the jaw be slack, the neck and chest open, Seeing if you can sense in any way the upright support of your spine or torso. And then as we find this balance between groundedness and the inner alignment and alert quality, this balance that's presence naturally in the body of relaxation, groundedness, and alignment, strength, alertness. As we begin to sense that balance in the posture and bringing a very relaxed, friendly, and curious attention Coming back to that image of sitting with an old friend, how you might be listening, catching up in a relaxed, curious, and friendly way. Bringing that same quality to just feeling the body breathing. Letting the breath come to you. So you don't need to go find the breath or grab the breath. But just feeling relaxed in the body. Beginning to sense the pattern of changing sensations. As the body breathes in and as the body breathes out.
Whenever the mind gets lost in a thought, a memory, a plan, as soon as you wake up, as soon as you remember to be here, The work's already been done. The mind is already aware. In the moment of remembering, mindfulness has returned. So we can smile inwardly, appreciate the fact that awareness is actually growing because we've remembered. So when you notice, we appreciate that. Ah, we're back. Great. Gently let go and Back to feeling the body, receiving the breath. So in the last few minutes of sitting together, I invite you to consider a brief reflection question. What's bringing you here today? What are you longing for? So you just ask that question and then just listen. Listen to what comes, pictures, words, emotions. What's bringing you here today?
thank you. That was quite lovely. Quite still in the room. So I'm a a firm believer in the uh, power of uh, connecting with purpose and intention, that the clearer we are about what we want, uh, the more options we have (laughs) to create that, and the more likely we are to actually go in the right direction. So uh, generally I find it helpful to begin uh, a period of this kind of training, even if it's just for an afternoon or a day, with with some intentionality. You know, what, what am I really looking for? What what am I wanting to get out of today? And so, what I'd like to do to, to begin uh, uh, our our day will be uh, mostly uh, an exploration of uh, interactive practices some of the conceptual frameworks uh, that I'll offer and then invite you to explore and practice uh, with, with, one and, uh, with each other uh, and uh, a couple of, of short periods of quiet internal reflection in a guided way as we just did. Uh, so what I'd like to begin with uh, is uh, just forming some small groups uh, to explore the, the topic or theme for our day, uh, which is how to create real dialogue and healthy relationships. So that's kind of big. <laughs> how many hours do we have? <laughs> you know, so, uh, so we won't cover everything. <laughs> um, but, uh, but we can start and we can, uh, we can establish some shared understandings and some good frameworks and tools. Uh, but I'd like to get on the same page a little bit about what does that mean? What, what is real dialogue? What does that mean to us? What is a healthy relationship? What's, what's it characterized by? Uh, so um, I'd like to take, uh, invite you to take uh, 15 minutes to form small groups of three. Um, I don't know what the how many numbers we are, but uh, can uh, uh, it's fine if there's a, a group of two or four. But uh, I think that the timing will be more spacious if you have a group of three, about five minutes per person. And uh, uh, consider those two questions: What is real dialogue to you? What is a healthy relationship? And uh, what I will do is I'll ring a bell halfway through the time, okay? You can structure the 15 minutes in whatever way makes sense to you. So, in other words, you could each person just takes five minutes and talks. That would be one way of doing it. Another way of doing it would be, let's talk about real dialogue and do a go-around. Then you hear the bell. Let's talk about healthy relationships. And then you do another, another cycle, or, some, or you could just flow with it in a creative way or however else you would like to structure the time. But those are a few options. Any, any questions about what I'm inviting you to do? Okay, great. So we have a very beautiful large space here. So I invite you to feel free to spread out. 
find a couple of partners uh, and explore these two questions. What is real dialogue? What is healthy relationship?
So we're about halfway through the time. And I'll just add one thing. If you run out of things to talk about, <laughs> you can also consider the question, what are you hoping to leave here today with? If you feel like you've covered it and you know, you're just meandering, you can, you can bring in the sense of, okay, if that's what real dialogue and healthy relationship is, what am I hoping to leave here today with? You don't have to get to that, but if, uh, if you run out of things. So let's go for another seven and a half minutes.
Okay. So if you'd like to thank your thank your small group and come back. So this is not exactly an intimate workshop. <laughs> so if we were to hear from uh, every person or even every group, we probably would uh, not finish by lunch. <laughs> so what I'm interested in is getting a variety of themes and topics uh, so I'd like to invite uh, people to share um, one uh, quality or aspect that you identified in your small group uh, that's a part of 
either real dialogue or healthy relationships. And then when you say that, I'll see how many other people, you know, identified that and put it up here and then invite someone else uh, to share uh, another quality or aspect of real dialogue or healthy relationships. So Jim, would you like to start with one? Oh, no, you're a mic runner. Great. So uh, hands, if you hold up your hand, uh, someone will bring you a mic. And if a second person wants to hold up your hand that way, we, we... So one aspect of one of these. Quality of presence. Lovely, thank you. Presence, and so that might be in, in both, huh? Great. And then if someone else wants to raise their hand, the mic runner will come and we can alternate like this. Oh, so how many people uh, uh, described that or felt like that was some form of presence was a part of, of this for you in your group? Great. Another one? Oh, for me, it uh, was out- authenticity. So um, I appreciate uh, the interaction with Andrea and yeah. uh, Daniel because we have been very genuine. And yeah. uh, I think uh, we have been authentic. Great. So authenticity, uh, being real, uh, honest. Great. Other, uh, other qualities? Remembering, because I know this stuff intellectually, but in the moment it's not just about my agenda, but the other person has needs as well. So remembering my needs, their needs. Uh-huh. So, so remembering specifically what I might call as a sense of mutuality, that there are two of us here. Would that capture it? Yeah, great. Mutuality. How many people um, had some aspect of that, the sense that it's not just about me? Great. Next person. Uh, listening. Mm-hmm. So I was thinking about... Um, you can actually do this when in dialogue with yourself. You can be listening to yourself. So if you're in dialogue with another person and listening, not just contributing, but listening. Thank you. So listening, I might add um, a quality of receptivity. Yeah, so how many people identified that or would include that? Yeah. And... uh... Accepting what is. Thank you. Uh, so acceptance. Acceptance. Um, trying to change constantly. The other mm-hmm. person, accepting them a bit more. Yeah, yeah. Um, acceptance, and I, I might, what I'm sensing in that also, because acceptance is such a, can be such a um, tricky word, right? We talk about acceptance and then that might mean that, uh, or might be interpreted to mean that we just give up what we want because, well, just accept the way things are. But I'm also hearing, what I'm I'm hearing in you in that is uh, this absence of control or manipulation. And so I might phrase that as a kind of flexibility, that there's there's a flexibility, that we're, we're not we're not fixated on one particular thing. We're, we're, we're willing to accept where there's a limit and, and be creative. So flexibility. Yes. Would, that, would that capture it? Yes. Yeah, great. Who has the mic? Is there another? Please. Safety. Thank you. Do you want to say another word or two about that? 
Um, I don't actually know if it would be within real dialogue or within mm -hmm. the aspect of healthy relationships, but mm -hmm. in terms of creating a safe space where, with regard to the real dialogue piece perhaps, but um, where people feel comfortable to be open, you know, and that they're not preempting what it is that um, the other person should be, wants to hear from them, but there's mm -hmm. this nakedness this vulnerability i think in order for real dialogue to take place that vulnerability needs to be present but one cannot be vulnerable without that safe space that safety great so i'm, I'm hearing openness and vulnerability as aspects again because safety can be such a loaded word and it's something we each experience so differently um, there's another aspect that you're saying in there, but I, I, I want to see if it if it comes up in another place. It's it's yeah. Please, courage, lovely, yeah, courage, honesty. Uh, so that's how many people feel like some some aspect of courage, like that willingness. You know, courage has a willingness in it, so a willingness to stretch to come forward. <laughs> Uh, honesty, someone said honesty. So we might put that up here with authenticity. Honesty. Great. Non-judgmental. Great, non-judgmental. Non so part of the, um, goes with open and vulnerable. Yeah, but it's a different flavor, that it sense is. of. Um, if you're going to be open, you have to be non-judgmental to really hear. Yeah, Okay. Aspect of openness. How many people touched on some of that flavor? Non-judgmental. Great. There was a mic I saw over here. Yeah, Kevin. So empathy uh, would be, you discussed was really helpful. The ability to kind of get into the emotional world mm. of person and align with them. Mm. Empathy. My, uh, my neat boxes and lines are dissolving. Which I would say means that we're moving in the right direction, right? Because one of the aspects of, of any kind of real dialogue or healthy relationship is this, this quality of flexibility and openness, right? That, the, that the, uh, the ideas, the preconceived notions that we have maybe uh, that we've been carrying uh, can begin to become more porous. So empathy, was there another word you said that I missed? Empathy, empathy great. So kind of dovetailing off that, but um, really listening to what the other person's saying, but kind of also paying attention to the undercurrent of what they need. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Paying attention to those like nonverbal cues of mm -hmm. what's actually going on and how do you open up those channels. Mm -hmm. How about attunement? Mm -hmm. Attunement? Yeah. So that's one aspect of it, right? We're attuned. Um, and the other aspect I'm hearing is uh, kind of a depth, maybe like a depth of inquiry. Yeah, we're not just staying on the surface of things. So I'll, I'll put inquiry slash depth. How does it feel just just so far? Um, harvesting these different qualities. What's it like? What are you noticing inside? You can just call out and I'll repeat. Hmm? Bingo. Bingo. So there's a sense of like something really connecting and resonating. 
a tall order. So even as there's some sense of yes, there's also like a little trepidation, like, wow, this is a lot. How could I possibly? And a lack. Okay, how many people can relate? How many people can relate to the sense of like, ah, yes, I want this. I know this. This is good. And how many people can relate to the to the uh, the shadow other side of that, which is like, yeah, I don't know if I can do that. That's a lot. Okay, great. So this is what we'll be working with today: these these different aspects of ourselves. Um, anything that uh, that you talked about in your group that's not covered here that you feel like we haven't really. Nailed yet. And we can just get a mic over to, mic over to you. Love. In a loving way, as opposed to you idiot, you have spinach in your teeth. Yes. Love. Love. Um, and uh, I might... I like love. <laughs> I want love. I enjoy sharing and giving and receiving love. Um, and it's a very complicated, loaded word in our culture. So uh, I find in this context, maybe it's more useful to talk about care. Yeah? So let's put care up here. Anything else that we haven't, uh, haven't covered yet? I think we're kind of covering it, but my comment is that um, for me, everything that you're writing, it feels like healthy relationships should be, un- a real dialogue should be under the the category of healthy relations. For me, it's all about, yes. and all, all of us here probably, yes. healthy communications yes. creates healthy relations. So. Okay, so let's let's just bookmark that and we'll come to it in a second. Is what is the relationship between these two aspects? Selfless. Selflessness, uh-huh. Um, so I'm, what I'm getting in that is a little bit what we talked about, the sense of mutuality, willingness to let go, and um, I want to be careful with, with that word and concept selflessness again because it, it touches on that same, what I would call a misinterpretation of acceptance, um, which is like, I don't matter, kind of. I just need to, I'm not hearing that in what you're saying, but I just want to call out, right, that word and those teachings on no self and not self uh, can become uh, fodder for... I don't matter. I'm not important. There's something wrong with me. I should just let go, right? And uh, from my perspective and what I'm hearing from many of you is that um, a healthy relationship and real dialogue is the presence of two subjectivities. It's not all me, but it's also not all you. And so selflessness is a part of that. But I think there's also uh, a need for a very clear and almost fierce commitment to one's own truth, which is the authenticity part, right? So there's uh, that sense of the balance between the two. Yeah, thank you. I'm not sure how to in positive terms, but uh, absence of reactivity. Okay, so absence of reactivity. So we can put reactivity over here as something that's absent, and uh, maybe balance. Yeah, balance or equanimity. I'm just going to put EQ for short. Equanimity. Anything else? Again, so anything that we, you feel like we haven't covered, that we haven't touched on or that's missing? Curiosity. Thank you. Curiosity or, in, or interest. So perhaps a... Um, the vector that drives inquiry and depth. Yeah, curiosity. 
and genuine interest. In the way back. Thank you. Respect. That was the one that was in my mind when we were talking about um, a number of these mutuality, uh, non-judgmental respect. And that really also kind of captures a flavor of this, the sense of um, autonomy, authenticity, and care, right? That we can see things differently and, and, res- and that there can be a respect for that. This would be a great room to sing that song, wouldn't it? R-E-S-P-C-T? <laughs> Indeed. Oh. Yeah, thank you. Um, in keeping with the gentleman's um, contribution around selflessness, mm-hmm. but then also tying into the piece around respect, our group had talked about boundaries. Mm-hmm. So both cultivating boundaries, identifying those boundaries, and then respecting them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Yeah, knowing what our limits are is very important. Uh, It's an interesting distinction. A colleague of mine who I'll refer to probably at different points today, a colleague and friend, Mickey Kashtan, who some of you know, um, who I've learned a tremendous amount about in terms of this this material, likes to make the distinction between a boundary and a limit. And a boundary separates us. It has that sense of something that's uh, not porous, you know, and uh, that's not real. There aren't, there aren't boundaries in life. Where's the boundary between California and Oregon, between the United States and Mexico? These are artificial distinctions. Where's the boundary between you and me? Where's the boundary between myself and the trees and the air that I breathe? It's, these are distinctions that we make. Uh, but there are limits. There are limits to growth. There are limits to energy. There are limits to willingness. So the distinction that she makes that I find very useful, a lot of the times culturally when we talk about boundaries, when we reframe that in terms of limits, uh, it leaves space for our interdependence and our relationship in a way that boundaries can kind of c- cut or shut down. Yeah. So very important to know our own limits and respect them and to know someone else's limits and respect those. Yeah. So um, I'm sure there's more we could add up here. I'm... I'm feeling like there's a good, a good rich flavor of what we're aiming for. Uh, so unless there's anything that's burning uh, that you feel like you won't actually be able to uh, settle and continue without saying, I, I want to move on. <laughs> Sound all right? Last one, yeah. This is um, connected to honesty, but it also has to do sort of with responsibility and just work. Mm-hmm. And that is... I sometimes don't know, I'm not 100% sure of what I'm feeling. And mm. I might say I'm angry, but I might really be afraid. Mm-hmm. And so it's something having to do with actually knowing what you're feeling yes. and expressing it correctly. Yeah, so, so clarity, a sense of, of clarity and, and maybe self-knowledge. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, for me, it's a subset of authenticity, right? In order to be authentic, we actually have to know what's true for us. So, um, so, so, uh, so clarity or insight into what's actually real inside oneself. And then that also goes to, to inquiry and depth, which, uh, which she was saying, right? The sense of being able to also have that attunement of attention to what's actually happening for this person underneath the surface, right? So then we come to this question, uh, that, uh, that you were raising of, well, 
you know, what is the relationship between real dialogue and healthy relationships? Um, and, you know, it's a little bit like a Venn diagram or a flow chart. And, and um, one could say, I think, that uh, real, real dialogue is an aspect of healthy relationships. When we have a healthy relationship that's characterized by real dialogue, one could say it the other way around, that real dialogue leads to healthy relationships. It's not the only factor, but without the ability to have an exchange that's characterized by these kinds of qualities, it's impossible to have a healthy relationship. Yeah, you see that? So um, I want to offer a definition and see how this sounds to you as a way to encapsulate much of what we've covered here. And maybe I'll just read the list out loud so I know it can't be seen probably by folks in the back. Presence, authenticity and honesty, clarity and insight, mutuality, listening, receptivity, flexibility, openness, vulnerability, non-judgmental, courage, empathy, safety and attunement, curiosity, interest, Inquiry and depth, care, balance, equanimity, and respect. Who was it who said a tall order? Yeah. So, uh, so the definition that I would um, propose is that real dialogue uh, is an exchange that's characterized by authenticity, care, and respect that leads to understanding. Yeah. An exchange that's characterized by authenticity, care, and respect that leads to understanding. So for me, those three particular qualities of authenticity, care, and respect capture the range of what we've covered, right? Under authenticity, you know, we need, there needs to be, actually under all of them, there needs to be presence. Under authenticity, there needs to be clarity and insight. Uh, under care, there needs to be interest. There needs to be mutuality. Right? Respect encompasses being non-judgmental, flexible, these different nuances. The fact that it's an exchange. So the word dialogue, we often think that it means uh, log from logos, meaning word. Uh, we often think it means uh, two, words between two, die meaning two. But actually it's dia, D-I-A, which means a cross, so it's, it's the movement of a word across from one to the other is dialogue. So it's that exchange, that sense that there's something being transmitted here. Communication is to make common what was previously individual or private, the sense of the commons. So it's an exchange, and then it leads to something. It actually leads to understanding. We can have an exchange that's characterized by many of these qualities, but that doesn't actually create understanding. Yeah? 
And I would say that, that that's not real dialogue. It's not just the presence of these qualities. The presence of these qualities is uh, a vehicle for actually stimulating understanding, right? For catalyzing some understanding. Oh, that's how you see it. I still don't agree with you, but I can get your perspective. I understand now. <clears throat> and and so I want to talk a little bit about the role or the place of this in uh, in contemplative practice. I, I think I, I don't need to really uh, highlight or point out the relevance or uh, importance of the tools that support this kind of experience in our personal lives. That seems pretty obvious in our personal relationships, in our professional relationships, um, or in the public sphere. And one of the things that I know has been the most upsetting to uh, everyone I've talked to uh, and heard from uh, in my life, uh, wherever they fall on the political spectrum, is the absence of real dialogue, the polarization, right? The separation uh, and uh, fracturing of society. You know, I think back to when I was a, when I was a kid, and I uh, used to watch the McNeil Lair News Hour with my family on PBS. You know, like where is the actual debate? Where is the real? exchange of ideas that's characterized by authenticity, care, and respect that leads to understanding. And when we, when we consider not only our personal lives, uh, but the larger challenges and issues that we, not only as a society, but as a species, are facing, right, in terms of uh, resources, climate change, uh, population, income inequality, racial tension, uh, uh, white supremacy, all of the, the, the kind of uh, very real and painful uh, systems that we live in, that we have created, uh, that we've all grown up in. Uh, this ability to have an exchange based on these qualities that leads to understanding, how is it possible to actually address or resolve anything without this? And my, uh, my understanding of uh, contemplative practice, and specifically the tradition that I've studied the most in, which is the, Buddhist, the early Buddhist tradition, is that this understanding is, is core, it's key. It's right there in the early texts from 2,600 years ago. Uh, that speech is uh, an essential part of our practice. The, 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 uh, the teachings of Buddhism are not, uh, contrary to uh, popular belief, uh, are, not about, are not just about meditation. 
It's not just about sitting quietly with our eyes closed and striving for some transcendent state. In fact, I would say it's actually not what it's about at all. It's about how we live in the world. It's about how, it's a, it's a way of life that's actually a complete uh, examination and cultivation of what it is to be human, which includes our relationships. It includes the way we listen and speak. It includes the work that we do. It includes uh, the choices that we make. And the tools of meditation um, are one aspect of that. And the two support and form each other. They, they, the, the tools and practice of meditation help us to make wiser choices in our life, help us to be um, more present, aware, kind, skillful, <clears throat> caring, authentic. And the more that we live in a way that is characterized by presence, by care, by sensitivity, honesty, integrity, the more we live in, in those ways, the deeper and more enriched our meditation practice becomes because the mind becomes brighter and less convoluted and contorted when we're not caught in conflict and lying and cheating and stealing and self-centeredness in our life. We sit down to be with ourselves and there we start from a place of contentment. The heart feels at ease because we're not rehashing something that uh, we did that uh, you know, we feel regret about or remorse over. And uh, speech and language uh, in particular is a very uh, central and potent area for cultivation and for contemplation and practice. Uh, in any uh, in any path it 's a core part of our relationships, how we connect with one another and with the world it's uh, it, it carries weight words carry weight they matter so from the from the perspective of the Buddhist psychology, we say that words have have karma they have com- karmic uh, uh, potential, which means that they bear results, they bear fruit. Our words matter, and we've each seen this in our own life. You're kind to someone, you say, you say something uh, friendly, <clears throat> you listen in a way that's authentic and caring, well, that has a result in your relationship. It has a result on your heart. How does it feel when you have a good conversation with someone? You feel kind of uplifted, a little bit energized, you know, afterwards, we say something cruel or spiteful or someone says something to us that's malicious or harsh. It has an effect. We feel it. You know, there's a residue that's left in the mind. And not only that, but it creates the tendency to do it again. It reinforces the pattern in the mind. And this is the understanding in modern neuroscience of neuroplasticity, neurons that fire together, wire together. The more we do something, the more likely we are to do it. And speech and language is, is included in that. And that also means the way that we think. It's not just what we say. What we say is a manifestation of what we think. So these, these verbal expressions originate as thoughts. So when we begin to look at 
speech, communication, dialogue. At the root, what we're examining actually is how we think, how we perceive, which is a deep exploration. We actually begin to uh, probe the very structures of our mind and how we relate to reality, how we relate to ourselves and one another. One of the themes that came up in our little brainstorm was this sense of the balance between uh, selflessness and authenticity, that sense of mutuality. And we've each received a lot of messages and conditioning from our society and culture around um, what it means to, uh, to have needs and if that's okay or not and when it's okay or not, what it means to have feelings and which feelings are acceptable and which feelings aren't acceptable based on our gender identification, our age, our profession, our role, and so forth. So when we look at, at speech and communication to really have a deep understanding and to find the freedom and flexibility inside to actually manifest these qualities means that we actually begin to need, we, we, we contact the very layers of structuring in our own heart and mind, uh, the filters through which we see and interpret our life and our relationships. So it's a very powerful investigation. And, and because of that, a very transformative practice. And I've seen this in my own life that, um, you know, I started meditating when I was 19 years old. I spent the first five or six years doing that. And I experienced a lot of peace and, uh, you know, wonderful connection and, you know, certainly plenty of difficulty uh, as well in my own meditation practice. And then I would open my mouth and it was all go out the window, you know. And so it's like, well, what good is this if I can't actually bring it into my life? And it was only when I started practicing and discovering some of the other trainings and tools, not only in the Buddhist tradition, but in more modern disciplines like nonviolent communication, that, that I started to be able to bridge that gap. <clears throat> so, um, and we're doing it all the time. We are speaking and communicating all the time. Not just verbally, we're texting, we're writing emails, we're on social media. And when we're alone, we're thinking. The stream of the narration of our life is running. Creating a filter, creating a story, telling a story of who we are and how we are and why we are and when we will be and what we will do. You know, so this, this aspect of, of, the, of, the hu- of human consciousness for most of us is running from the time we wake up until the time we go to bed and often in sleep, Right? The, the dreams and the mind kind of sorting through the concepts and the images. So for all of these reasons, it's a, it's a key and central aspect of any um, complete spiritual practice or contemplative path. And it really holds a prominent place in the Buddhist teachings, for sure. Uh, you look at the five precepts, um, right speech, which I'll talk a little bit about in a few moments. Uh, you look at the Eightfold Path, which is the uh, exposition of training for uh, the way of life that was prescribed by the Buddha uh, for a life of well, well-being and happiness and freedom. The training in, uh, in ethical integrity, meditation and wisdom. This threefold training right there at the, towards the very beginning, right after the wisdom teachings 
of right view and right understanding is right speech. It's the only one of the five precepts that gets its own place in the structure of the Eightfold Path. And that seems significant to me. It's that it was that powerful that uh, either the Buddha or the people who codified his teachings later and put together some of the texts separated it out and said, this is important enough that it gets its own place. It's its own training. And the rest of the precepts around killing and stealing and... Uh, our sexual energy and our relationship to intoxicating substances, all of those get grouped together in the Eightfold Path. Speech is broken out. And there are many other aspects of the teachings when you start to look at them closely that you see the relevance and the importance of speech. <clears throat> so I want to say uh, just a few words about right speech as a framework. Uh, and then, and then move on to the, the question of how. How do we actually start to do some of this? How do we start to bring these qualities into our relationships and our life? How many people here have studied or read or learned about right speech in some way? Okay, so about 10%, maybe. <clears throat> so, the, so basically, so the Buddha says, okay, you are interested in not suffering as much in your life. You would like to be happier and have more well-being. Pay attention to what you say. This was one of his instructions. Be very careful about what you say. Okay? For all of the reasons that I just laid out, the power of speech, the power of speech to do good, to create beauty, connection, love and understanding, and the power to create harm. You know, just look at history and propaganda and we see the power of words to lead to things like terror, war, and genocide. That's speech, right? So he said, pay attention, pay, be careful about what you say. And the first layer, he said, look, let's just, be, let's just be really simple about this. Don't lie. Don't say things that aren't true. Try not to be harsh. Watch the way you speak. Don't be divisive. Don't pit this person against that person. Don't triangulate. Not helpful. And don't waste your words. It's, it's precious energy. Be aware. Have some sense of purpose when you speak. Doesn't mean you can't chit-chat. But you know the difference, right? We all know the difference between when, hey, how's it going? Good to see you. Yeah, how you been? Pretty good. When that moves into like, How's the game? It's just like, okay, I'm just kind of like blabbing, right? There's a difference between friendly, warm chit-chat and what's referred to in the suttas as idle chatter, where we're just kind of like yada, yada, yada. So don't waste your words. So this is the baseline. And then it begins to get refined. There are many other, te- there are many other texts in which that, that baseline gets refined. Well, what should we say? And then you start to, it starts to get refined. It says, well, say things that are true. 
Say things that are useful, that are actually beneficial. Try to say things in a way that's kind. Say things in a way that's coming from a sense of goodwill in your heart. So not just what you say, but how you say it, why you say it, where it's coming from, and very key distinction that's made multiple times in different places and different contexts throughout the early texts, pay attention to when you say it. Know, have a sense of the right time and place to share something. We can have something to say that's true, that's useful, that's kind, it's coming from a good intention, but it's just not the right time, you know? So have that, have that sensitivity to the broader context. You know, hey, I wanted to talk a little bit. Is now a good time for you? Right? Start a conversation out like that. And then again, from there, it continues to get more refined. And I'm not going to go into, into all of the details and permutations of the various uh, uh, circumstances and uh, the teachings that are given. But one, the more one studies and looks at the suttas, not only the direct teachings on speech, but what I call the indirect teachings, which are you just look at a story and you see the way the Buddha behaves, the way it's recounted that he behaved, or the way it's recounted that a disciple behaved, and that becomes a teaching. Right? So, for example, when the Buddha was dying, it's said that uh, he said, you know what, I need, to, I need to speak to everyone before I go. Gather, gather up the whole community. It wouldn't be good if I just kicked off. You know, I should say something. <laughs> so there's that sense of, that's a teaching on speech, right? Honor your relationships. Have a sense of closure, right? Honor your responsibilities, in, in, you know, in a way. So what one, what one begins to get is a sense of a very kind of flexible structure that's guided by certain principles, certain principles of non-harming, of, of kindness, and attunement, a sensitivity to, to timing and context and things like this. So I want to just read um, one passage from Thich Nhat Hanh that uh, really, for me, uh, uh, it, it kind of set me on, the, on this path. It was a major uh, factor in, in my... Uh, sitting here in front of you today, uh, sharing what I've learned early in my practice. I sat a retreat with him in the 90s and uh, uh, really took to heart his interpretation of the teachings on right speech. And so I just want to read it because I find it very powerful as kind of a beacon or a north star for what's possible in our life when we really take this on as a practice, when we really make a firm commitment to saying, you know, I meditate every morning or a few mornings a week. I come to Spirit Rock or I go to EBMC or, you know, I I have a community in my life that I work with. And I want to start paying more attention to the way I speak. I want to start paying more attention to the way that I listen. I want to make that a part of my spiritual practice, part of my contemplative path. So this is what he's, this is how he encapsulates the teachings on right speech. And it begins with an understanding of the power of speech and the, uh, the, the cause and effect relationship between our actions and, uh, and our state of well-being or suffering. He writes, 
aware of the suffering caused by unmindful speech and the inability to listen, I vow to cultivate loving speech and deep listening in order to bring joy and happiness to others and to relieve others of suffering. Knowing that words can create happiness or suffering, I vow to speak truthfully with words that inspire self-confidence, joy, and hope. I'm determined not to spread news that I do not know to be certain, and not to criticize or condemn things of which I'm not sure. I'll refrain from uttering words that can cause division or discord, or words that can cause the community or family to break. I will make all efforts to reconcile and resolve all conflicts, however small. However small. Powerful, right? Powerful possibility to aspire to in our life. So how do we do this? How do we begin to do this? Uh, I want to say... one word, one or two words about what gets in the way, the sense of it being a tall order. Um, and then I want to focus on the how for the rest of the day. One of the main limitations, one of the main things that gets in the way is simply the fact that for most of us, we have not practiced it. How many people were taught communication skills in grade school? You know, right? How many people were modeled? How many people had real dialogue and healthy relationships modeled in their family of origin? Right? You know, maybe one or two of us in select moments. So, you know, so we just haven't practiced it. Of course, it's going to be difficult. Further, not only haven't we practiced it, but we've all been molded by our society and our culture. So we come into this life, the human mind is primed for language. A baby can learn any language. All the synapses are there for not only the sounds, but the very structure of grammar are just, it's, it's, uh, it's hardwired in us. And as we learn, as we learn a language, we don't only learn the words and the the grammar, but we learn all of the cultural messages about relationship that come with that. So we become patterned in certain ways. So we've all actually had communication training. It's just been unconscious and unintentional. It's just been kind of overlaid as we've been socialized and grown up. So this is another reason why it's difficult because we're not starting from a clean slate. If you go to a pottery class or a canoeing class and you've never been in a canoe or worked with clay, you're starting from a clean slate. We've all been speaking for however many years, you know, decades. So we carry a lot of momentum that we need to... So learning communication skills is also a process of unlearning those patterns. And this can be challenging. It's also complex. 
Communication is a complex, what I call a high-order skill. Tying your shoes is simple. Playing the piano is complex. Similar foundation of manual dexterity, a lot of other capacities and receptivities added to be able to play the piano. Okay? Speaking, simple. Mindful communication, right speech, complex. Bringing awareness to all of the various facets and aspects that are operating the emotions, the ideas, the needs, the mutuality. And uh, uh, biologically, evolutionarily, neurologically, it's a very loaded activity. Eye contact is, uh, is, a, is a very potent experience for primates. Just to be in front of another human being is vulnerable. All kinds of very ancient mechanisms get stimulated underneath the surface around, is this a friend or a foe? Is this food or a mate? That's operating. It's operating underneath awareness, you know? So how do we begin to unravel some of this? And how do we begin to work with it? Uh, So... Over the years of training and practice and exploration that I've done so far and that I continue to do, uh, I've come up with uh, a little bit of a uh, framework for this work that I, I, I divide into three foundations for training. And each of those foundations has a specific step or a specific uh, action that we can do, that we can learn. So I want to give you a little overview and then, and then we'll practice, we'll do a practice for each of these, one or two for the, for the day. So maybe what I'll do is I'll just give a little conceptual overview and then we'll take a bio break, stretch the legs, go to the bathroom and, uh, and then come back and do some practice. Does that sound? Okay. Uh, so the first foundation which is the essential prerequisite that, and this will be familiar to you from the conversation we had. In some ways, it's just a, it's just a system for organizing all of the qualities that, you, that we named earlier. Uh, so, and this is in your packet. There's a little write-up towards the end in your packet uh, about this. Page eight. Uh, but you don't need to look at that. It might actually fragment your attention. So I would suggest actually just listening for now. Um, Uh, So the first foundation is training ourselves in presence. If communication and real dialogue is about creating understanding, we need to be here, right? We have to be here first to actually understand anything and to actually implement any training or tools or skills that we have, we need to remember. Someone over here said remembering. We need to actually remember our intentions the things that we've learned, to use them. Otherwise, we're just running on automatic. So the first foundation is, is, is learning how to be present. It's about mindfulness. But it's about mindfulness in the interpersonal sphere. How do we bring presence, not just when I'm sitting or walking or standing, but when I'm speaking, when I'm listening, 
How do we bring presence to the relational sphere? And so the step or the action here is to learn how to lead with presence. How to lead with presence before all of the ideas, before all of the words, before where we want to go. How do I just show up continually? Have a foundation of being able to be here. This is the first training. The second training is the foundation of our intention. Where are we coming from? Where are we coming from? What's our intention? Being, beginning to become aware of what's driving a conversation. Am I manipulating? Right? Am I trying to angle and get my way? Am I trying to blame the other person? Am I trying to be right? Am I trying to win? Am I trying to protect myself or defend myself? All of the conditioned intentions that we've learned in life. Or am I coming from a place of openness, interest? This was one of the things that came out of the earlier brainstorm we did is this quality of interest. And this is transformative. Genuine interest is transformative. It's transformative spiritually in our own contemplative practice and it's transformative relationally in communication. Genuine interest. And so the step here, the action here, is to learn how to come from curiosity and care. This, this marriage of interest and genuine care. And under this, under this falls the sense of respect and uh, openness, empathy, all of those qualities, curiosity and care coming from that place. So if you did nothing else in your communication practice but learn how to show up and come from curiosity and care and just keep coming back to that, you would see vast transformation in your life. I guarantee you. Just just those two things. The rest will follow naturally. Because to really be cur- to really be present, to really be curious, to really be caring, you've got to really start to work through some assumptions, some patterns, some preconceived notions. The last training is actually beginning to get into the, those embedded structures in our mind and train our attention. To train our attention to notice what's actually happening. To understand the difference between the stories we tell and our direct experience. To train our attention to notice that. You don't care about me. You ignored me. That's a story. That's a story. What actually happened? You know, I texted you and didn't hear back for 10 hours. I felt hurt. I felt scared. I felt confused. That's what actually happened. You ignored me. You don't care about me as an interpretation. Now, if I come to the conversation with you ignored me and you hurt me, we're already starting off on rocky, to, on rocky ground, right? If I come to the conversation with, listen, you know, when I, when I didn't hear back from you all day, that was really hard for me. I want to talk about that. Very different. 
right? So training our attention. And the step here, the action here is to focus on what matters. What actually matters? No, what's this about? And what matters, this is, this is simple on the surface and complex as we, as we really learn it. What matters is changing all the time from moment to moment in a dialogue. And this is where the training of nonviolent communication really becomes a robust resource of learning to focus our attention in these four different aspects of human experience, which Marshall Rosenberg developed, which is the observations of what's actually happened, separate from our interpretations and judgments, our, our feelings and another person's feelings, separate from blame, just the actual felt emotions, the deeper needs that those emotions arise from. Why? Why we're feeling that way, what we're longing for, what we're wanting, and what the other person uh, longs for or wants at a, at a more root level, our human needs. And then the specific ideas we have for how to, how to, how to work together and move things forward, the requests we have. Here's, here's what I think might work. Here's what I'd like to see happen. What do you think about that? As distinct from demands, this must be, you have to do this, here's what needs to happen, but actually a request, some sense of how about this? That's a request. How about this? What do you think? So we train our attention to focus on what matters. And so this threefold training uh, for me really provides a, a useful framework for developing the skills that are needed uh, to manifest the qualities that we identified about real dialogue to actually have an exchange that's characterized by authenticity, care, and respect, and which leads to understanding. So before we take our break, let's take uh, five more minutes and just see uh, if there are any uh, questions about uh, any of the conceptual material that I've, that I've laid out. There don't need to be, but there might be. Yeah. Yes, thank you. Who is Marshall Rosenberg? Marshall Rosenberg um, is the founder of Nonviolent Communication. Uh, he was a um, psychologist who grew up in Detroit uh, during the race riots. He's Jewish. Uh, and uh, the experience of uh, violent physical anti-Semitism that he had as a child and the experience of um, uh, the race riots in Detroit. Um, there was a movie that came out recently about it. Uh, it's quite powerful. Um, had a profound effect on him uh, such that he uh, had this deep question inside of what drives human beings to violence and what allows some human beings to stay connected to compassion and to see one another's humanity. And those questions led him uh, to uh, learn uh, uh, psychology and eventually study with Carl Rogers, who's one of the founders of humanistic psychology, and then eventually developed this system of nonviolent communication. Uh, what he ended up realizing and discovering is that the ways that we think and speak are a key aspect in what allows us to, to stay connected to our humanity or what allows us to justify violence as a strategy to meet our human needs. 
Uh, and so he spent uh, uh, much of his adult life teaching all over the world nonviolent communication, and it's been used uh, not only in interpersonal relationships, uh, but in interpersonal, uh, but in international conflicts, um, mediation, social change, uh, many, many different contexts. And so I highly recommend his book, Nonviolent Communication, which is kind of seminal work, which is a, a gem. Anyone remember the name of the movie? Detroit. Detroit. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Can you speak a little bit more about um, coming from curiosity? So, um, so does that mean uh, ask, asking questions? Right. What do I mean by coming from curiosity? Oh, yes. We'll cover that in the in later in the day. Okay. Yeah. Because yes. some, sometimes I I, I um, want to learn more how to. Yes. Yeah. How to ask questions yes. where I feel like I'm not being nosy or prying. Great. Thank and you. Being skillful with my Great. questions. Yes. We'll explore that more. Anything? Anything not clear about what I shared? Or I have an observation about the cultural differences. Sometimes when we interact with others, we have to pick words. We have to pick words. Pick words. Yeah. And so what happens is my eyes can go somewhere else or I, I might automatically have a different response in, in, the, in the interaction yes. from my nonverbal language. Yes. So just thoughts out there loud yeah. about yeah. nonverbal communication. Right, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of nonverbal communication that happens that we're continually picking up on. And when, um, when we have... Uh, uh, coming from different culture, um, which there's many, yeah. many different, you know, right uh, uh, layers of cultural differences we can experience. Uh, things can code differently, you know, and a lot of misunderstanding can come from different cultural expectations or interpretations. So thank you for bringing that in. Yeah. Thank yeah. You. Yeah. And maybe. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering if we're going to speak more to um, the differences between feelings, needs, and requests. Um, I try to practice NVC as much as sure. I can as with, with yeah. little knowledge yeah. that I have and experience. Yeah. A little bit. A little bit. We'll go into it some um, in the afternoon. Sometimes the needs and requests gets fuzzy. Sure. If we're not really in touch with our deeper needs. Yeah. And if you're in the moment, it's hard to get in touch with those. So yeah. I'm just okay. hoping to yeah. address that. Thank you. I'll make a note. Maybe uh, maybe Peter and then this woman and then and then we'll stop there. Yeah, I was just um, wondering, are you going to bring in um, uh, body communication too? I mean, you know, sometimes there's a conflict yeah. between uh, what you say and what, what you're really. Thank you. So a little bit in line with her question, I won't be covering that so much today. Uh, body communication, nonverbal communication. For me, the way that mostly the way that I address that in my teaching is. Um, uh, and this covers some of it, not all of it, but most of the way that I address that is under intention. Because a lot of the times, so what happens is, you know, body language is a reflection often of our internal state of mind and heart. So if I sit here and talk to you like this, it's, it's, it communicates something, right? It says, I'm relaxed, I'm open, I'm here with you, right? If I do this, it communicates something a little bit else. If I... I'm talking to you like this, it communicates something else, right? So, but those different body postures aren't conscious, usually. They arise from an intention. So if we generally, for the most part, 
not completely or exclusively, but for the most part, what I find is that if our intention is clear, if we're coming from a place of curiosity and care, that will naturally be reflected in our body language, our posture, our facial expression, our tone of voice. It will, it will naturally express itself. So that's, for me, that's where I tend to put the most emphasis. Yeah, thank you. So last, uh, last comment or question in the back corner. some uh, time discussing um, the aspect of uh, uh, when you when you're working hard to do right speech and there's a sense of uh, lack of mutuality mm-hmm. uh, or mm-hmm. a frustration of you know you direct, when there is yes. derailment and then how to repair it or yes. how to deal with derailment right thank you and there is lack of mutuality yes yes um, yeah, so we'll, we'll look at that some. The, what I'll say right now uh, in the moment, in case we don't have a... I'm sure it will come up again, but if, in case we don't come back to it in a, in a full way. Um, so one is that it only takes one person to change a dialogue. Because uh, a conversation is uh, an exchange between at least two of us. And if I change the way that I'm behaving and relating, that changes the conversation. It, it, can't, it can't not change the conversation. And so a lot of these, uh, these tools obviously work, are easier to use when both people have them and there's mutual agreement and interest in doing it, but it's not necessary. It takes a higher level of skill to use these tools in a situation where uh, perhaps not only is the other person uh, not familiar with these tools, uh, but say they're um, engaging in a way that uh, um, could be characterized as you know very aggressive, uh, or um, uh, you know they're not responding in a way that makes it easy for you to hear or stay connected to yourself, uh, and that continues over time. In the conversation, it's one thing if it starts off that way, but then they settle. But if it stays at that higher level of activation and resistance, that's possible. But it takes a lot more internal resources for oneself of resilience and strength and patience. And also a higher level of skill of using these tools to continue to engage in a way that's non-reactive, balanced, uh, clear, flexible, Right? It's a little bit like being a martial arts or an Aikido master where you're able to take the energy that's coming at you uh, and, and not absorb it into, your, into yourself, but actually redirect it. You know, and that's what we can learn to do verbally and, and, uh, and linguistically. Um, but it's a higher level of skill, but it's very possible. So I want to stop here so that we can, take, uh, we can take a break if anyone wants to chat more. So let's take 15 minutes. It's 11.20. Uh, if we could ring a bell five minutes before... If you didn't get a handout, there uh, there are some more. Please, yeah, yeah.
So I just invite you to find your way back. Okay, so you are hopefully hydrated in the proper balance, having imbibed and released appropriate amounts of liquid. (laughs) Allowed the energy of the body to move a little bit. It's this kind of sitting all day thing can be challenging. So I want to do some practice together. I want to start to explore um, what we already know and what we can what we can learn and develop in this uh, threefold training of. Uh, could you flip? Could you flip that over? Thanks. The threefold training of presence, intention, and attention. So cultivating presence. So brief working definition of presence. Presence, I would say, is the ability to be here in a grounded and embodied way with whatever's happening. The ability to be here in a grounded and embodied way with whatever's happening. Sometimes we can't get the grounded piece, that's fine. We can still be we can still be here in an embodied way with whatever's happening. Be aware of what's happening. When we can be grounded, that helps. Many ways to establish presence in oneself and relationally. Many obstacles to establishing presence in oneself and relationally. <clears throat> So what I'd like to do is um, to do a, a, a series of exercises uh, with a partner. You'll be working with a partner uh, in exploring what we already know about ourselves in terms of presence and then inviting you to practice one key tool that I have found to be the most helpful that may or may not be helpful for you but you can try it out. So um, I'll explain the first activity. I'll demonstrate it briefly, and then we'll do that with a partner. So the first activity, we'll be doing something called um, repeating questions. <clears throat> Anyone who's done diamond heart work knows this structure. <clears throat> Your partner will ask you a question. The first question is, what helps you stay connected to presence? You might like to write that down. I'll repeat it a few times. What helps you stay connected to presence? If I could have a volunteer with a mic, um, you'll demonstrate this with me in a moment. So raise your hand and uh, Jim or our other friend will bring you a mic. So you're going to ask me what helps you stay connected to presence. And I'm going to say the first thing that comes to mind. 
doesn't have to be intelligent, doesn't have to make sense, probably should be true. Okay, first thought, best thought, as they say in Zen practice. This is not a performance test. You don't have to get it right, okay? We're exploring here. Then, and this is key, after I speak, my partner will say, thank you. And that completes the round. And then my partner will ask the same question again in as genuine and fresh of a way as they can. So sometimes people like to use their partner's name to help have that real. So, so you might say, what helps you stay connected presence? And I say breathing and you say thank you. And then in the next, next time you might say, Oren, what helps you stay connected to presence? Okay, so let's try this. We'll do it for less time in the demo than you're actually going to do it in your, in, your, in your dyad. Oren, what helps keep you connected? What helps you stay, stay connected, connected to presence? presence. What helps you stay connected to presence? Feeling my hands. Thank you. What helps you stay connected to presence? Uh, Nodding or rocking my body. Thank you. Oren, what helps you stay connected to presence? Taking a deep breath. Thank you. What helps you stay connected to presence? Pausing. Thank you. Okay, you get the idea? Okay. Uh, So allow your, um, if you're in the position of questioning, uh, try to let your voice be as natural and varied as you like, you know? Uh, So this feels authentic. Uh, So the first, so what we'll do is that question in one direction, um, We'll start, we'll start with a moment of silence and I'll offer just a couple of suggestions for actually coming into presence so that you're bringing a sense of presence to this very exchange, okay? We'll do it for about two minutes. I'll ring the bell. When you hear the bell, wherever you are, just stop. Come back into more of an inward presence and then you'll trade roles and do the same question in the other direction. Make sense? Correct. Yes. This is short. Usually we do it for four or five minutes. Okay. So um, I invite you to find a partner, someone, and let's do this in silence. Find a partner, someone you haven't worked with before. Yeah, today. So if you can, if you can, this will, this, will, this will go more smoothly if you can try to keep, keep silence. Don't begin yet. Okay, raise your hand if you need a partner. Raise it high. Look for someone else with their hand up. Find your pair. Okay. So, would one person in each dyad raise your hand to volunteer to answer the question first. So raise your hand to volunteer to answer the question first. Okay. If we're odd, I'd ask one of the volunteers for the day to step out. But I think, are we even? Everyone has a partner? Great. Okay. So 
just invite you to begin by letting your eyes close. Bring your attention inward. Feel your body sitting. It's just coming to presence inwardly. We each know what it feels like. Presence is natural. You don't have to work for it. You don't need to feel calm. Just being here with whatever's happening. And there's some awareness of the body, the heart, the mind. When you're ready, you can let your eyes open. See if you can stay connected a little bit to that sense of presence with your eyes open. What helps you stay connected to presence? And don't forget to say thank you after each answer. So pause, invite you to let your eyes close and come back, come back inward, bring your attention back inward.
So letting your eyes close and just coming back to that sense of internal presence just with yourself. So one of the things we're beginning to explore is what's the difference between our ability to maintain presence when our eyes are closed and when our eyes are open, when our attention is inwardly focused and when we're in relationship. So we'll continue to move back and forth between this kind of internal space and the relational space. And just pay attention to those shifts. If you can notice the difference and begin to bring some sense of an embodied awareness to the relational space. So we'll trade roles now. Same question. What helps you stay connected to presence? Don't forget to say thank you. Letting the eyes open. Notice what happens when you open your eyes. Have you lost presence? Can you come back? So starting with the breath, starting now. So letting go of the words. And again, bringing your attention back inward. So just letting the eyes close and bringing the attention back inward. So I want to 
to suggest that uh, we're going to do two more rounds with a different question. And I want to suggest that for the second cycle here, uh, now that you're familiar with the form and the rhythm, uh, hold the next uh, five to eight minutes, whatever it's going to be, uh, as, a, as, a, as a meditation. So uh, in the, tra- the transitions are one of the most important parts. So there can be a tendency when that bell rings for the sense of intentionality to vanish. Oh, great, it's over. Oh, that was fun, right? Yeah, that was cool. Right? So try to maintain a continuity of some awareness. So when you hear the bell, just let go. Let go of the words. Close the eyes. Come back inward. One of the the most powerful skills we can develop in communication practice is the ability to stop and let go of what we're saying at a a moment's notice. So the next question is going to be the opposite. So what disconnects you from presence? What disconnects you from presence? So we'll trade roles again. So we're back in the first configuration. As you open your eyes, try to maintain some sense of your own awareness. Can you bring some presence to this very exercise? What disconnects you from presence? What disconnects you from presence? And don't forget to say thank you. I'll ring the bell to begin. When you hear the ending bell, just let go and come back inside. So starting with the breath, what disconnects you from presence starting now?
So notice how the body feels. What's the effect inwardly? If there's any energy or activation in the body, just just sense that. Don't need to change it. Just feel the body sitting. Notice what happens as you slow down and bring the attention inward. So again, for the last for the last round, what disconnects you from presence? See if you begin can begin to bridge the gap some, moving from the internal presence, which tends to be easier for most of us, to the sense of relational presence, still being able to feel yourself even as you engage with someone else. Letting the eyes open and just see what the effect of that is. Can you keep your center? Can you stay here with yourself even as the eyes are open? What disconnects you from presence? Starting with the breath. Starting now. So for one last time, turning the attention inwards. And just really sense the shift. 
letting the mind return to silence. Just reflect on anything that you've learned from that. Anything you want to remember that you just want to mark in your mind, make a mental note of. And whenever you're ready, you can let your eyes open. Stay with your partner, but uh, orient yourself back towards the stage for for, uh, a few moments. We are going to do another exercise, but I just want to talk for a few minutes first. So So how many people learned something about yourself from answering those questions? Raise your hand. Great. How many people learned something from your partner? Great. Great. We know a few things about presence already. Right? It's just a matter of practicing them. Identifying it and practicing it. Okay. How many people felt that by the last cycle you were able to be a little bit more present in the exchange than you were at the very beginning? Great. Not everyone, but most of us. So one of the things that we practice with this first foundation of presence, right, which is the prerequisite for using any of the tools we might have, is this ability to start to shift to recognize what it's like to really be here. And if you have a meditation practice, you know that, or any kind of contemplative practice, any kind of awareness practice. But then to begin to actually consciously pay attention to making that shift from just being here with myself to being here together, where we're aware of both. And in the beginning, it, it feels like a going, a shifting back and forth, like our attention is almost ping-ponging between the other person and ourself and the other person and ourself, right? And over time, that starts to balance out, and we can begin to abide in a space uh, of, of uh, a balanced awareness where the, there's almost a sense of being simultaneously aware of ourself and the other person. That can be the lived, the lived experience of a simultaneous balanced awareness where the attention's maybe 50-50, or sometimes it's more like there's maybe just 10% of our awareness is here and most of our attention's with the other person, but we don't completely lose ourselves, which tends to be the situation that either we completely lose ourselves and the other person. How many people noticed that? That you opened your eyes or in the process of it, you, just, you were just out there? Or we're completely with ourselves? Right? When we get upset or charged up about something, we, we lose the other person entirely and we're just in our own stuff. So one of the tools that I've found most helpful for this, I'll just, I'll just name a few of the areas that you can train. So one primary area of training is with body awareness. There's learning to cultivate more embodied awareness. And this can be done with the breath, with the sense of gravity or weight of the body, with the spine, the sense of alignment, with uh, touch points, like the hands, the feet, the tongue, the mouth. Okay, so, so specific physical sensate 
reference reference points. Right? Sensation is always present. Sensation doesn't exist in the past or the future. So uh, body awareness, body sensation is a very useful training for developing relational presence. The other series of uh, uh, practices that I teach for developing relational awareness have to do with the actual exchange. So we can begin to pay attention to um, uh, taking pauses. This is one of the most helpful, powerful tools for presence. And a pause could be, you know what, I don't think this is the best time to have the conversation. Could we talk tomorrow? That's a pause, right? A pause could be, I don't know, let me think about that for a sec. You know, I'm not sure. I want to get back to you. That's a pause. A pause could be just that, okay? Just a micro pause, right? But being able to insert any kind of length of a, of a pause, of a break in the flow of a dialogue can give us enough space to just come back to ourselves, to contain a reaction, to digest an impact, to metabolize something difficult that's come up, okay? So learning to pause in conversation. From there, we can also learn to uh, attend to the pace of, of our speech. Our speech is very tied in with our nervous system. So when we get angry, we begin to speak more quickly and more loudly, you know, when we get excited, we often start to, there's more energy in our voice and, we, and the pace picks up or, you know, when we're afraid or we're not sure, our voice gets shaky. Uh, so modifying the pace of our speech can have an effect on our nervous system and on our energy. It's not that we're trying to control things, but we start to become aware because the voice rides on the breath and the breath is an expression of the nervous system, we start to become aware of the pace of our speech and learn how to, how to modify it. We become skilled uh, at uh, kind of just dancing with the pace of speech as a way of staying connected to presence. So the pace of our speech can become a, a tool, an area of training. Uh, and the last area of training is just paying attention to what I call the choice points of listening or speaking in a conversation. We always have the option to do one of two things, one of three things actually. We can listen, we can speak, or we can pause. Just come back to presence. The most fundamental communication skill is just choosing whether or not to speak. Most of us forget that. (laughs) We open our mouth automatically without being aware. So just choosing whether or not to open our mouth is a huge, you know, a huge training. So in a lot, all, th- all three of these, pausing, pace, and choice points, rest on the ability to pause. Just, oh, what's that like? So I want to do another practice with your partner on pausing as a, as a tool for cultivating presence. Okay just to give you a taste of that. So at the beginning of the day, I invited you to reflect silently on what's bringing you here or what you're longing for. If you came in late, quick. 
what's bringing you here, what you're longing for. So what, I, what I'm going to invite us to do is each person's going to have a few minutes to just share about what's bringing you here today. What are you longing for? Okay. The person who's listening is going to be practicing listening with presence. So to just listen with complete wholehearted presence, to just give the other person your undivided attention. You don't need to say anything. You don't need to be right. You don't need to be smart or intelligent. Okay, it's fine to nod or make a facial expression. You don't have to be like a zombie. Okay, you know, but don't say anything. Just listen. You'll notice various intentions or thoughts come up. This is a mindfulness practice. Keep coming back to just giving the person your wholehearted, undivided presence and listen. Okay? Speaker, you just explored a whole bunch of stuff about what helps you stay connected to presence. Okay? Try it out. As you tell your partner why you're here today, See if you can bring some presence to the very process of speaking. Okay? You could try having, keeping some attention in your body. You could try that if you like, just feeling the weight of your body or maybe feel you put your hands together in a comfortable position, interlace the fingers or clasp them together, feel your hands, you know. Uh, or any of the other things that you discovered help you stay connected to presence as you speak. Okay? And tell them the story. Now, We're going to do this as a meditation, as an interpersonal meditation. We'll start from silence. Okay? Now you're going to, you're not going to like me because just as soon as you get going, I'm going to ring the bell. (laughs) And uh, um, if you're willing, I don't want you to obey, but if you're willing to try it out, um, I'm going to ask you to pause. This is going to be an unnatural pause. This is going to be a pause in which it feels awkward to stop, right? Because it's not planned. That's the point. Okay? Whenever you hear that bell, I want you to practice. Let go. Whatever you're saying, wherever you are, midstream, just let go. And pause. And just turn the attention back inwards and see what's happening. Because that ability to let go of what we're saying, have the restraint to do that, oof, you know, if we can get that one down in conversation, you know, right? When we get pissed or upset or activated, and then there's that moment that comes at a certain point where you know you're about to, like, lose it. And what happens most of the time? You know, we just let it rip takes a lot of restraint to be able to go, oh, I didn't say that. Okay. Just going just gonna to pause. Just going to breathe, you know. I want to say something really hurtful right now, and I think I, need, I think I need some space. Okay? That takes practice. That takes strength. So, nothing challenging is going on right now, hopefully. <laughs> You're just talking about why you came here today, which might be a little bit activating. That's the point. But maybe you just met this person or they're a friend or something. When you hear the bell, let go. Pause. Okay? I'll say a few words that are hopefully helpful. I'll ring the bell again and you'll continue. 
and then we'll stop and we'll switch roles. Make sense? Okay. I'll walk you right through it, yeah. So start, let's start. One, so the, uh, let's, let's, uh, so whoever went first last time, uh, you're going to listen. So, so we're, we're, tra- we're changing the, the order. So let's begin from silence. So inviting you to turn your attention inwards. So letting your eyes close and just feeling the body. Maybe feel the breath. Remember, it's difficult to create real dialogue because we haven't practiced. So that's what we're doing. We're creating an artificial structure to help us learn tools. So listeners, wholehearted presence, just undivided attention. You won't be there the whole time, but just have that intention. Keep coming back to just listening. Speakers, experiment. See if you can bring some presence to your speaking, to stay connected to yourself as you share. When you hear the sound of the bell, wherever you are, just pause, let go, and come back, come back inside. So we'll start with the breath. Sorry, first, let your eyes open. And notice the shift. Can there be a continuity of presence even as the eyes open? Then starting with the breath, starting now. What's bringing you here today? So pausing, let the eyes close, just feel.
There's nothing that's supposed to be happening. Just notice whatever you feel, whatever you're experiencing. Listeners, just coming back to that simple intention of wholehearted presence, undivided attention. Speakers, if you like, in this next round, this next cycle, which will be the last cycle of you speaking, I invite you to experiment with either the pace of your speech, so take your time, if you like, or taking like micro-pauses, maybe after a thought or after a sentence to just consider. So if you like, you could experiment with bringing the pause and the pace more naturally into your sharing as a way of maintaining presence. So letting the eyes open, checking that you're still present, still self-aware, connected, and starting with a breath, starting now. Just letting go. And making a mental note or reflection of what you learned, what you noticed. And we'll trade roles now. So, listeners, you're now the speaker experimenting with bringing presence to the process of speaking, can you stay connected to yourself? It's just some thread of self-awareness. And the new listeners bringing complete presence, just a wholehearted, undivided attention to listening. When you're ready, allow your eyes to open and check. Can you have a continuity of awareness? Starting with a breath, starting now.
Notice the urge. Notice that impulse to continue. There's nothing wrong with it, but that's what drives our speech. It's important to be able to become aware of that so that we have more choice over when and how and why we speak. Reconnecting with your intention to listen wholeheartedly. Speakers, if you like, during this next cycle, you could experiment with uh, the pace of your speech. What's it like to take your time? Or how is it to take just little micro pauses, maybe after a thought or a sentence, to bring more of a careful or deliberate awareness to your speaking? Not because that's the way we're always supposed to speak, but because we're developing flexibility and capacity, how to be aware while sharing. Allowing the eyes to open. Checking if there's a continuity. Are you still aware? And starting with a breath. Starting now. Just noticing the shift and the transition. Reflecting on anything that you noticed or learned. So uh, you can let your eyes open when you're ready. Uh, We're going to continue this practice in a more informal way. So we'll take another five minutes to just have an informal conversation with your partner. Uh, The uh, suggestion and the invitation would be to talk about the process of the activity rather than the content. So talk about how it was to pause, how it was to listen wholeheartedly, 
Um, and if, if there are things that one another shared about why you're here today that you want to keep talking about, I would suggest that you pause that and talk about it at lunch so that you can... It's a suggestion. <laughs> so, that you can, so that you can deepen any learning from the activity and really compare notes about the tool and the process, what worked for you, what didn't, what did you discover, right? What was unexpected, what surprised you, okay? And as you're doing that, try to keep practicing, being present with one another, taking pauses, you know, slowing it down if you want to, right? So um, we'll take five more minutes. I'll ring a bell halfway through, Uh, to mark the time in case uh, just to have balance and sharing and also to take a collective pause. Okay? So, uh, starting with the breath. Please enjoy. Begin when you're ready. So just an open flow, a dialogue about what you learned. So can you pause? Don't hate me.
whenever you're ready, please continue. I'll ring one more bell at the end to bring us back. Okay, just invite you to thank your partner in whatever way feels uh, appropriate and friendly. And uh, then let's, let's come back to the large group. <clears throat> so we've done a whole series of uh, explorations and activities on presence from the questions about what helps us connect with and disconnect to presence uh, and then practicing with some pausing and uh, these transitions between the internal presence and the relational presence. Uh, So this is the foundation uh, which helps us remember any of the other tools and in and of itself has tremendous benefits being able to be present uh, in in dialogue. Uh, uh, so uh, just curious to uh, maybe let's take five minutes or 10 minutes uh, to hear uh, what you learned or what you noticed uh, during this arc of activities. And again, just uh, what I'll, what I'll uh, suggest here is given the number of us here in the room, 
Um, my interest is to hear uh, from a variety, a variety of experiences. So if someone shares something that has a flavor of what you experienced, uh, no need to reiterate or refine. Uh, so I saw a hand up over here. Yeah, so uh, maybe uh, Danny. I'm actually going to give it to you. Great, okay. Thanks. <laughs> um, so in being trained in active listening previously, um, which I think is distinct from sort of the, the presence of, of listening that, that, that we were cultivating during that exercise, that last exercise, um, the instruction is always to, to work to retain what is being said yes. to be able to mirror it back. Right. And I noticed when, you know, in, in that last exchange um, that, that that brought me away from presence. Right. Great. Great. Um, yeah. So, so where's the balance yeah. between just simply showing up and being here with you, and then being able to intellectually catalog? Yeah. Great. Thank you. Happen. Beautiful. Is it, it's a rhetorical question, or are you asking? I'm asking. I mean, oh, you're asking. Okay. <laughs> Either way. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, it, well, it is a balance, and I think it's a balance that happens over time. You know, uh, and both both are capacities that we develop. So we develop the capacity to track information and to focus our attention in a certain way. It's like, oh, that feeling is really important. Got it, yeah. Oh, this person's really wanting that. Okay, yeah. You know, oh, it sounds like there's a request there. They're looking for something, okay. And we just, you know, kind of, and we each have different strengths and capacities and abilities to do that, you know. But to just, uh, the more we practice and train our attention to focus on what matters, we can kind of sift through the story to get to like, often there's just one or two nuggets of like, oh yeah, it's that piece, you know? Um, uh, and then we also train ourselves in just that capacity to be here, you know? And, and, and then it is a balance. And in some sense, they support each other in my experience over time. Thank you. Um, how many people can, can relate to some flavor of what she was saying of feeling the relief of not having to perform or track or, Active listen in some way. Yeah. Okay. okay. How many people found themselves wanting to actually like track things and like the mind was doing that? Uh-huh. Okay, great. Please. Uh, two things. One, uh, what I noticed was that if I'm talking, I'm not thinking and the pausing actually allowed me to think and then I realized how much I just talk and talk and talk and talk without thinking at all, which is great. a very good thing to notice. But so can I pause for a moment? I just want to... I, I just want to capture that. That's really important. Yeah. And, and how many people can relate to that, that in the space of the pause, you were able to have more choice and awareness about what you were saying and why? Yeah. Great. Huge insight. Huge. But the other side of this uh, that I, I was important to me was that um, I think out in the world, when this, I'm having, talking to someone and they pause, it makes me very uncomfortable. Mm. I find that I start going, oh, what went wrong? What did I say? Mm-hmm. You know, what happened to the conversation? So right. That, that's something I thought about while yeah. we doing this. Yeah. Yeah, the, the practice of pausing is a very flexible, dynamic one that often uh, we will adjust to the, con- the context and to the person. And so, you know, uh, sometimes when it's not culturally... Uh, you know, uh, it doesn't make sense culturally to pause or we're afraid the other person's going to start talking if we pause, you know, that we'll lose our, <laughs> right? Um, 
we can signal, we can tell the other person why. It's like, I think I need a moment to just take that in. People, often that's really beautiful to hear. Wow, they're actually really listening. They want to, you know, or uh, I need a sec to just gather my thoughts. Hold on. Okay, wait. Just one more sec. Right, you know, like that. So we're actually telling the person like, no, no, I'm actually pausing because I want to be connected to you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that, that felt very good. And I was reflecting at the end the kind of the sense of ease that the way it progressed and rolled out, it got easier. And I was aware that I had this coach at the front of the room with a microphone giving me cues on what to do and how different that is from my normal, like especially at work, chaos and bombardment of stimuli. So do you have any comments on uh, how we might structure our environment? how rare it is to have someone just listen to you and pay attention to you and not interrupt or interject. I was thinking, like, I don't remember the last time that happened out there. Yeah. Raise your hand if you can relate. Yay, we're back on. So, 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 so rare, right, to be listened to in that way. For how many of you did that feel nourishing? Raise your hand if that was nourishing to, to be listened to. Okay, raise your hand if it was nourishing for you to listen in that way. Okay, why don't we do this more often? (laughs) This incredible capacity that we have to share something so beautiful with one another of just the gift of our presence, you know? Yeah, in in the way back, Jim, behind you, this woman with black hair. 
No, no, just turn around. Oh, you've got the mic there. Sorry, I'm sorry. Um, what really amazed me is after the first, I was the listener at first, and um, after the pause, my partner came back with this one statement of powerful truth that when it came time for my turn to talk, I couldn't possibly go back two beats to the original before the pause energy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it changed the energy of the whole conversation. Yeah. And what strikes me is I imagine being in a meeting room and the power of the pause. Yeah. And when you're the supervisor or boss, the pause makes people uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. So to make them comfortable in the pause would change the whole energy of the yes. conversation going forward. Yes, thank you. Beautiful. And part of that sense of when we have more power in the situation and we're inviting a pause, part of this, part of creating the conditions to make it a fruitful pause rather than an awkward pause would be providing some of the framing around the intention behind it. I'm really interested in actually, you know, uh, us working collaboratively and getting as many creative ideas as possible. I'd love if we could take a pause for just a minute to let that question land and have everyone think a little. Or, you know, that's just one example, right? But you're, tell, you're giving the people the frame and the, and the needs that you're trying to meet behind this strategy of taking a pause. Great. So I want to pause here. I know there's more. We'll have time for more discussion and Q&A when we come back from lunch. Um, so we have an hour for lunch, just a few pointers and suggestions. Uh, so one, um, so we've practiced with a few different things this morning, um, specifically around this foundation of presence. Uh, the suggestion of having some body awareness or taking pauses or exploring the pace of your speech or any of the other strategies that you identified in your dyad that help you stay connected to presence. So my suggestion, my invitation to you is as you uh, have your lunch and take a break, keep practicing. You know, you have this rare opportunity uh, where, where you can say to someone, can we pause and it's not going to be weird or awkward. They're going to be like, all right, cool. <laughs> okay, so try it out. Um, uh, and then also I want to call your attention again to, um, to two things. So one, uh, if you'd like to stay in touch with me and hear about things that I'm doing uh, locally or other sort of like free resources, articles I'm writing, things like that, uh, you can uh, print your email address on my uh, email list uh, clearly so that I can read it. And I send out one email every month or six weeks or so. It's not a lot. Uh, And also um, this uh, class that I'm teaching that's coming up in January. It's a six-week class. I'm doing one in Berkeley and one in San Francisco. Um, And it always fills. I haven't taught it in six years and it hasn't filled. So if you're interested, uh, feel free to take a flyer. And if you have questions, we we can chat. So uh, enjoy your lunch. Uh, we'll meet back at uh, uh, 1.40. So let's take just an hour. Thanks. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.